When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Hockey Sense. I'm Chris Peters. This is episode 62 of the podcast, and so glad you could join us for it. It's Thanksgiving week here in the United States, which uh, is a very festive occasion. Really excited to get the holiday season rolling here. But when Thanksgiving hits, a lot of other things are going down, like who's in the playoff hunt for the NHL? It seems to be the line of demarcation. Then you've also got you know these holiday tournaments coming up. The World Juniors right around the corner. World Junior A Challenge roster has been named. There's a lot of other things happening around the hockey world. And so as the holiday season ramps up, it seems that the hockey season really kicks into high gear as well. So we've got a lot to get to today. We're going to talk about the U.S. World Junior roster. It's getting closer and closer to the camp being named. Um, that tournament, of course, December 26th through January 5th. I'll be there for that, so we'll talk a lot about the World Juniors in the coming weeks, but we're going to start a little bit today about U.S. roster talk. We're going to talk about some of the teams that are kind of in the hunt for the number one overall pick. Uh, as we mentioned, when you get to, to Thanksgiving, it's kind of, uh, kind of sink or swim time for a lot of NHL teams, and there are a lot of teams that are sinking very fast. So we're going to talk about them and a little bit about kind of how the top of the draft should affect those teams. I'm also going to talk a bit about the University of Michigan. There's been a lot going on over there um, on and off the ice. And then also uh, talking a bit about college recruiting. And of course, as always, we will answer your questions. But before we get into today's topics, I want to remind you, as always, if you haven't yet, you can always subscribe to this podcast on any app where you get your podcasts. Plenty of great uh, opportunities to, to keep up with us there. And then also, if you would leave a kind rating and review on your app of choice, it really does help get the word out about the podcast. And as another reminder, you can always watch this podcast in full on flowhockey.tv. We'll also have clips throughout the week that get put up that you can watch. If you don't have time to watch the whole podcast, but you see a topic that you really like to check out, we have plenty of clips going up on flowhockey.tv. And if you haven't yet, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to flowhockey.tv. Get all of the USHL, ECHL, college hockey, and so much more on Flow Hockey. So I uh, just spent a lot of my weekend watching a lot of hockey on the Flow Hockey app. There's a, a great series in the CCHA between Minnesota State and Northern Michigan. A tremendous uh, a <laughs> tremendous hockey there. Watched a lot of ECHL games as well. And also broadcasted a game yesterday with the Iowa Heartlanders. So a lot of uh, fun to be had on the Flow Hockey app. And as always, you should be reading our pro uh, what we're putting out there as well. We'll talk about some of the stories that are up on the site that you can check out in just a little bit. But first, we're going to start today talking about the NHL and talking about the thing the NHL really doesn't want you to talk about, which is tanking. And if you aren't tanking right now, and you're at the bottom of the NHL, 
start tanking is basically the, uh, the, the piece of advice. And nobody wants to lose on purpose, but it, there are probably some NHL teams that are like, you know, if we lose a lot, it's not going to be that big of a deal. It's actually probably beneficial to us to, to get ourselves into a position. And most years, tanking doesn't really get you a lot because you not only have to be bad, you have to be bad in the right years when the right player is there or when multiple players are there. You, you go back to the Connor McDavid draft. That was a year where every team that was at the bottom of the league should have been trying their hardest to lose as much as possible. Because the worst case scenario for teams at that point, if you don't get Connor McDavid, if you don't win the lottery, you finish last, don't win the lottery, you get second, and then you get Jack Eichel, who at the time, looking like a, a very high-level player. He is a high-level player in the NHL. Obviously, he's had some injuries and other things going on in his career. But if you didn't get McDavid, there was a bit of a consolation prize in, in Jack Eichel, and that was a very strong draft class. It's pretty much the same thing this year, where Connor Bedard is the consensus number one, though it's not 100%, I would say. There are a lot of NHL teams that are, are looking at Adam Fantilli and what he's done at the University of Michigan saying, hey, this is a guy that absolutely could fit. He's a big power center with strength, physicality, speed, checks a lot of those boxes. Maybe he's a better fit. I think if you're a team that finishes second and gets the number two pick, that tough decision gets made for you. You just take the next best guy. It's probably one of those two players, and you're very, very happy about where, where your franchise sits. Now, I wanted to kind of take a look and see at some of the teams that are at the bottom of the standings right now. And I actually, instead of looking just at the standings, I went over to moneypuck.com to take a look at their their playoff odds. And I always, I, it's it's interesting to look at because you see teams and, and where are they at? And you look at right now, the Anaheim Ducks have a 1.4% chance of making the playoffs. Not great. And they're a team that's kind of in a weird stage of their rebuild where, you know, Ryan Getzloff just retired. They have... Um, Trevor Zegris, they have Troy Terry, they have all these uh, guys, Jamie Drysdale, Mason McTavish, the young guys coming up, but you add another core piece to that roster and all of a sudden you're starting to think, hey, this is this is a team that's really going places. Um, this year, I think they've underachieved. We'll see if they stay at the bottom of the league uh, very long, but that's a team that's right in that mix now where you say, okay, well, you get a top pick and you've got a, a guy that could potentially change your franchise for the better when you've already got, you know, a Trevor Zegris and Jamie Drysdale and Mason McTavish, which are going to be part of your core of the long-term future. Um, so very interesting to kind of watch that. Then you look at the Columbus Blue Jackets, and they have been riddled with injuries this year. A lot of their top players have not been able to stay healthy. You know, Zach Wierenski is going to be out for the rest of the regular season. They've had to, you know, really dip into their AHL call-ups, deep into their AHL call-ups. And you're seeing guys that maybe you didn't expect would make the NHL at any point. Uh, are, are getting called up to to have an opportunity to play for for Columbus, and all of that is kind of interesting because the, uh, they had the big free agent splash of Johnny Goudreau. Uh, Goudreau maintains you know he doesn't regret signing there, although this is going to be a bit of a build. But having a guy like Goudreau, having Patrick Laine, having Zach Wierenski, and others in that mix, this is a team that basically is kind of on. Uh, they have a, a bit of a core in place. So you add a piece like a Connor Bedard and Adam Vantilli. And this is one of those teams where I feel like it might be better to finish second, let the other team, you, know, you always want the best player, no matter what. Um, but, you know, if you get the chance to have Adam Fantilli, he might be a better stylistic fit for where they're at because you know, you've already got, you know, the uh, a supreme shooter in Patrick Lina. You've got the highly skilled playmaker 
in Johnny Goudreau? Do you want to add, you know, another undersized scoring center to that mix with Connor Bedard? And I think in general, yes, you would take the best player. You build around him. You fix the team how you need to when you have a core piece like that. But it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if, say, they go number two and then Adam Fantilli's there. The Chicago Blackhawks are currently at 4.8% on money puck to make the playoffs this year. And then Montreal is right by them. And so we figured both the Blackhawks and the Canadians would be towards the bottom of this list. I think the Arizona Coyotes are a little bit higher than we expected um, them to be. But the one team that I wanted to kind of key in on as we talk about tank wars is a team that's been in a weird limbo this season. And as of right now, moneypuck.com has them at a 14.1% chance to make the playoffs, a 6.7% chance to win the draft lottery at this early stage. Now, Vancouver is one of those teams where they've got a bit of a core in place as well. They've got Elias Pettersson. They've got Quinn Hughes. You know, Thatcher Demko has been kind of, uh, it has struggled this season, but you think you have a core goaltender there um, if he plays up to his regular standard and not the way that he's played this season. You know, you you have to make decisions now. You lock down JT Miller long term. What are you going to do about Bo Horvat? You know, there are a lot of decisions that um, have to be made by Jim Rutherford, and we've also heard a lot of you know him not being happy with the coaching and everything else that's going on. Well, the way that things are working out right now for Vancouver. Would it be the worst thing in the world if they just started losing a lot? And there's been a lot of talk about would they trade Bo Horvat, you know, as their their team captain. It's that's a tough decision to make. You would think he'd be part of the long-term solution there. Um, but the number one prospect in this draft is a born and bred, died in the wool Vancouver Canucks fan in Connor Bedard. You know, grew up in the Vancouver area, loved the the Canucks, and that was his boyhood team. To have a transformational player like that, and, and with all due respect to both Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson, who are stars of the game, without question, Connor Bedard is what the Canucks don't have, the core centerpiece of a team. You know, they, they had it for a time. When you look at their heyday, when they had Henrik and Daniel Sedin playing at the peak of their powers, Roberto Luongo at the peak of his powers, and a really talented team top to bottom that was very difficult to play against. They had that centerpiece, and, and that was, you know, Henrik Sedin was basically that centerpiece. And then you've got, you know, the pieces around him. Connor Bedard can be that and maybe even more. Um, he's one of the, the great goal scorers that we've seen. Pedersen is, is, is a tremendous player. Um, Hughes is a tremendous player. But do they transform the Canucks into an immediate contender? Not really. Now, there's a lot more work to be done. You can't just add Connor Bedard and be like, oh, we're done. Everything's good. I think that the Canucks, they don't have a great prospect system right now. A lot of the young guys graduated up to the pros, and, and some of them have struggled. Some of them had good moments, bad moments. You know, Vasily Pudkolzin's been up and down. Um, Nils Hoglander's been up and down. You know, so there's a lot of players in the mix there that need a little bit more. So what I'm interested to see is, does Jim Rutherford start to tear this down a little bit? Does he trade Bo Horvat? Does he make other moves to, you know, potentially weaken the team down the stretch here? And then all of a sudden you're in the lottery range and you have a chance. And I think in Vancouver, it's a tough market to do that in. But if you have a soft landing with either Connor Bedard or even, let's say, Adam Fantilli, Matt Vamichkov, Leo Carlson, you know, those players, if you're up in that top five, you still have a chance to to really add a player that's going to be a, a transformative player for your team and for your organization. Um, but obviously having a Connor Bedard 
you know, that that sells tickets. I mean, they don't really have a problem selling tickets, but that having a local get a local kid come in and be you know the face of that franchise with a good supporting cast that includes Patterson and Quinn Hughes and others. That's not, it's not a bad spot to be in. So keep an eye on those Canucks because I I don't think they're a playoff team this year. I think there's a lot of issues that are going on there, and maybe they're better off just letting it slide and going to uh, the basement where that is where they can potentially get better. I think if you don't get Bedard, maybe you get Fantilli, and then you feel pretty good about where you're at long-term. You got a power center, a big guy that can make a lot of plays. So I think there's a lot there, but um, those are the teams that are kind of in the hunt right now. Obviously we knew kind of Chicago and Montreal would be there. Didn't expect to see Columbus this slow. Anaheim, same kind of thing. Thought they were maybe trending up a little bit, not even though they lost some guys from last season. Um, but you know, I think Vancouver is a team that's kind of ahead of everybody right now in that group that we're talking about that, you know, could potentially afford to fall back. All right. As we get set for the Thanksgiving holiday, that is basically the one month mark or just one month plus a couple days to the start of the world junior championship. Uh, I'll be there with flow hockey. We'll have on-site coverage. I'll be doing a lot of content throughout the, the buildup and also in, in during the event where I'll be um, in Moncton with team USA covering them more closely. I mean, you can get a lot of your, your team Canada coverage in a lot of places, not as many places with dedicated team USA coverage. You'll find that at flow hockey. Um, I will not be there for their first game because it's just uh, uh, traveling to uh, Atlantic Canada is not always the most easy thing. Uh, so I'll get in the next day to to cover them, but I'll also be covering the buildup and their camp and everything else. So you'll be able to read a lot about that on flowhockey.tv. We'll also have some videos and interviews and different things of that nature coming up throughout the buildup to that tournament. But Team USA is in a very interesting spot right now. They've got you know a team that, Probably it'll be a bit on the younger side. They've got a, a head coach, Rand Pecknold, who hasn't really, he's a long-term college coach, has had a lot of success at Quinnipiac, but now he's going to be leading this team. And, and I've seen Rand Pecknold for years coach, and I think you know the team that he has here is going to play a somewhat, would have to play a somewhat different style than what Quinnipiac usually plays. However, the one thing that Quinnipiac has done for, for many years now is they've just always been a quality possession team. That's what Team USA is going to want to be going into this tournament. What is going to make this interesting is that we always talk about, you know, it's great to have a team full of 19-year-olds. You want to have the oldest possible team at the World Juniors. It's going to help you win. It's going to help you have, you know, be the bigger, stronger team. Um, this year, I think that the 2003-born class versus the 2004-born class there's a pretty significant gap between the two where the 2004s are the better players by and large um, in most positions. However, in the 2003 class, you still have Luke Hughes, who will be the anchor of Team USA's blue line and certainly one of their most important players in this tournament and a significant piece to their team. Um, so you know he's going to be there. You know guys like Logan Cooley are going to be there, even though Cooley is, has been a little bit up and down this season at Minnesota, but he was you know, essentially Team USA's top-line center. As an underager, he's going to get another opportunity to do that. He won't have Matthew Nyes this time around, but he could potentially have his two line mates from the under-18s, which is Jimmy Snuggerud and uh, Jimmy Snuggerud and uh, Cutter Goche, who's having a tremendous season at Boston College. Jimmy Snuggerud having a great season, scoring a lot of goals for the University of Minnesota. So you put that line back intact. So, but but after that, there's a lot of questions, and I wanted to focus a little bit more on the bubble 
And so Team USA has, you know, some guys that are that are locks that are likelies, and you're going to be actually be able to read this piece next week on Flow Hockey or this week on Flow Hockey, where I'll be kind of breaking down Team USA's roster, trying to get a look ahead at where they're going with their team. And it's my understanding that they've kind of got their depth chart set now. They know the guys that they're zeroing in on, and now it's just figuring out, you know, who to invite to camp, who's going to make the team. There's a lot of questions there, a lot of things that we're still waiting to find out about about this team and one of the big questions right now is kind of what are they going to do down the middle um you know you've got logan cooley you've got some other returnees red savage played down the lineup there um last year could return um you know charlie stramel was on the team last year didn't play a whole lot and is he going to be uh in the mix you know i think you have to put him firmly on the bubble has not had a good season at wisconsin um i'll be heading out that way to go take a look at charlie stramel and others when Michigan is in Madison and, you know, does he's, but the thing about Charlie Stramel is he's big, he's fast. He gives you a different element. There's a physicality to him. You know, you need, can, can he fit in a different role, even though he's not really scoring this season? Um, and that's going to be the big question that, you know, I think he's absolutely going to go to the, the camp, but then he's got to stand out in that camp setting. Um, then you look at other guys, one of the leading scorers in the OHL right now, Ty Voigt, Toronto Maple Leafs draft pick. Um, he is, the top scorer in the OHL. What do you do with him? Um, you know, his top scorer among uh, American players, averaging close to two points a game. And is he going to be in the mix? You know, he's a, they, they have a lot of undersized skill on the team already. Uh, they have guys that have kind of been in that program before, but Voigt did get invited to the summer camp. And I think you have to bring him into camp at the very least to see what you get from him. Um, because that's that's but that's another guy that even though he's had this tremendous season, I think he's still on the bubble just because that two th- 2004 born class is so special with what they have. You know, Rutger McGrory has played very well. Um, you know, what do you do with him? Are you able to 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 find a spot for him down the lineup? The Winnipeg Jets first rounder, I think they do. Um, Gavin Brindley, another guy that they played in the under 18 World Championship last year, is having a good season at Michigan. Potential first round pick in the NHL draft this year. Is he going to be? Part of that 2004 born class but there is another issue so we talked about center depth and different things like that defense is another place where i think that usa has a lot of similar players there's a lot of undersized skill on that blue line there are some other guys that you know can kind of fill a different need um i think the two guys that are are absolute locks so far um for me and there's probably three of them but two for me luke hughes who i already mentioned and shy booyam from the university of denver Shai Booyam is going to give you a little bit more size. He's got some two-way capabilities. He's played very well this year for one of the best teams in the country. Has that national championships experience from last season. I think he's in a better position to make the team this year than he was last year. And now we'll have to see, you know, he's got to take that next step. Um, but after that, you know, you say, okay, well, you got Jack Peart, who was on the team last year. Um, you know, he, he, you have to figure that he's going to be a returning player that's back. Um, Ryan Chesley, who uh, is was on the under-18 team last year. Seamus Casey, who's had a tremendous season at Michigan so far, you know, is there a place for him? But then you start saying, okay, well, our decor, you know, half of it's going to be under six feet. And I'm not one that wants to be a size monger, but you can't have all the same kind of guys. I mean, you're that 5'11", 5'10", six-foot guy that, you know, so there's a lot that needs to be done. So I'm going to be interested to see if there are any of those surprises that are invited to camp, because that happens an awful lot as well where you get kind of some of these surprise players that weren't on anybody's radar last year. It was Dominic James who came in 
the Team USA, and you know, I kind of spotlighted him early in the season as as a guy that fits a role, um, and he ended up making the team. Are there other guys like that that weren't in camp? Uh, that's that's going to be the interesting thing to kind of see as as this progresses. But the under eighteen or the under twenties, it is a very difficult team to make. You're going to see a lot of good players left off, um, but I think that that bubble. You know, we're talking guys like Stramel. Um, you know, I think Kenny Connors from UMass has got to be in the mix. Ryan Ufko uh, from UMass, also another guy that, you know, same kind of thing with an undersized defenseman that can move pucks. You know, those are the guys that you're kind of talking about as as potential bubble players. And then, you know, does a guy like Roman Schmidt from the Kitchener Rangers make the team? Because he's got that big frame. He's good defensively. He's played very well this year for Kitchener. Hunter Brustevich, I mean, he's also had a strong season. You're trying to find ways to fit guys into your team and into your group. And I think at this point, this U.S. roster is a very difficult to predict in terms of how it's actually going to look in terms of lineup. I think it's fair, fairly easy to, to kind of pinpoint the guys that are going to be special and, and, and that, that are going to be big parts of the team. It's, it's really hard to figure out who's going to be those secondary pieces and also who is going to be the starting goaltender for this team. Um, Caden Embarico has had a, a pretty solid season, but some inconsistencies at Colorado College this year. He was the starter last season. I think Trey Augustine from the National Under-18 team has a very strong case to make the team. Uh, so I think that those two guys, I, I'm pretty confident, will be on Team USA. Who's going to be the number three? Tough to say. Not a lot of players have have risen their hands here. And, and really, it's one of the weaker goaltending crops that USA has had to pick from, which is why you got to go down to the 2005 birth year and maybe pick a Trey Augustine who played in the under 18 world championship last season um, and has done very well for team USA, the under 18s this season. You know, it's very tough to say, but a lot of tough decisions to be made on the team USA front, but going to be fascinating to see where it all goes, but you can uh, see, you know, this is a little bit more of a scrambly thought, thought out process of, of where things are. You can see it a little bit more organized, and a lot more analysis on flowhockey.tv later this week. So make sure you check that out as we get to more Team USA coverage of the World Junior Championship. All right, going to move on to college hockey now. And I did want to talk a little bit about the University of Michigan. If you had not yet heard, there's there was a bit of an illness uh, sweeping through the team. And it you know has had a significant impact on their ability to, to put a full team on the ice, but it also... Uh, as we now know, according to reports and, and, and his mother on Facebook, that the defenseman Stephen Holtz has been in intensive care. Uh, whatever illness was going around has affected him um, most significantly. And we are still thinking of Stephen. Uh, he's a big defenseman. He's, he's really started to find his way as a, as a college player this year, um, you know, getting more ice time, getting more opportunity at, at the University of Michigan. And so we, we hope for a speedy recovery for him. But uh, Michigan was so shorthanded this week that they had to play their number three goalie at left wing. They didn't even have a jersey for him. He had to wear Frank Nazar's jersey. Nazar hasn't played yet this season due to injury. So uh, uh, Tyler Shea, the number three goalie on the team, had to basically borrow the jersey and play left wing. I don't think he got many, if any, shifts. Uh, but Michigan went ahead and played these games. They did not have Adam Fantilli. Uh, they had a number of other players that were out sick, um, which you know was was makes it very challenging to put a competitive team on. So we had this big top five matchup at Yost this weekend. Michigan ends up, or Minnesota ends up winning 5-2 and 6-3. Uh, great fight from the guys that were healthy, but there was a lot of questions about whether or not Michigan should have even been playing this game. And 
until you know, I found out about Stephen Holt and where, where things were with that. You know, that's obviously a very scary situation. I, and then you start saying, okay, well, maybe uh, they shouldn't have played. This kind of goes back to last season. If you'll recall, uh, Michigan canceled a game with Western Michigan that was part of the the Great Lakes Invitational, uh, and they decided not to play Western Michigan because they were missing a lot of players for for the World Juniors, and they had a ton of players that were out. That was it happens. Um, you know, there are minimums. If you can meet the minimum of, of skaters, uh, I, I believe it's, uh, I believe it's 15 skaters um, and a goaltender, uh, you, you know, you're supposed to play. Um, and I think because of what happened last year, it made it very difficult for anyone to make the decision to pull the plug on this series. That is a conference series. The big 10 schedules uh, a bit more compact um, and there weren't a lot of chances to really find a makeup date for, for this particular series, which is a hugely important series for the standings. And, and granted, we would have loved to have seen Michigan at full strength, but I think if you have a team that's, you know, everyone that was playing for Michigan was medically cleared before the game. So should they have played, should they not have played? I'm of the mind that if you have enough players, you play, um, even given the, the circumstances that were there, what, would be my concern is, is if this virus that has gone through the team that has sickened multiple players, you know, what are the chances of other guys, you know, having it and, and passing it on to, to others, you know, should there have been more, you know, we're, we're kind of in this, you know, COVID isn't over, but we're kind of over the, the security, the, the, the safety measures. And so I think it's becoming a lot harder for us to kind of put the toothpaste back in the tube of, well, we got to cancel more games and, and things like that. So it's, it's, you know, I don't have an opinion in terms of what, you know, what the correct thing to be done was. I just think that, you know, basically Michigan had enough players to play. They decided to play. I didn't have a huge problem with it. So long as, you know, the medical professionals that were apparently involved in the decision process, you know, had their say and, and you know, basically got in there. But the fact that, you know, Michigan had to play so shorthanded that they put their backup goalie at left wing, um, you know, is, is interesting. I actually had a former college goalie text me to say that that was his ultimate dream was to dress as a forward in just one game of his college career. So uh, not the way you want to have it happen, but, you know, you have to also give some huge credit to Tyler Shea for stepping in there and saying, yeah, sure, I'll play. I'll do it. Um, but yeah, but in the end, Michigan gets swept in that one. And we'll be interesting to see how that, you know, impacts their, you know, I don't think they'll have any problem getting in the national tournament or anything like that, but it, you know, absolutely could have an impact on their seating as it affects their pairwise ranking and everything else. So uh, certainly a lot, uh, a lot to, to unpack there. Again, before we move on, you know, hoping for the best for Stephen Holtz, uh, hoping we're going to get some good updates soon about him. Uh, he's been out since early November and then hospitalized more recently. And so um, our thoughts remain with him and we hope, uh, hope for the best in that situation. Sticking with college hockey and also talking a little bit of junior hockey, last week was a signing day. The national signing day kind of happened last week. Over, it, 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 It's not as compact as it used to be. Um, you guys tend to sign a lot. But I did write a story last week about Boston College and how the Boston College Eagles now uh, probably are bringing the number one recruiting class for next season. And it includes three, you know, six players from the national team development program, including three guys that are currently projected in Flow Hockey's top 32 uh, for the NHL draft. That would be Will Smith, who is really climbing the draft charts. Talked a lot about him last week. Ryan Leonard and Gabe Perot. That makes up the under-18 team's top line, all three of them, heading to Boston College 
Burrow just recently made that commitment, but it's now you, you send those guys into to Boston College that's going to have some needs. But the big pickup for them actually came in net as Jacob Fowler, who was previously committed to Clarkson, opened up his recruitment again, signed a national letter of intent with Boston College. He will likely be their starting goaltender starting next season. He's played very well for the Youngstown Phantoms. Really like what he's brought to the table. I think he's a competitive goalie. He's got that good athleticism. He's got the right size. I think he's going to be a mid-round pick in the NHL draft this year. Um, and Youngstown has had some struggles throughout the season, but he always gives them a chance. Uh, he's, you know, he's had his own inconsistencies, but I think that in general, he's played very well in a tougher situation. So I'll be fascinating to see kind of where he's at and what happens with him. Uh, so a lot to uh, uh, look forward to on the recruiting front if you're a Boston College Eagles fan. Also, more recently, uh, the Chicago Steel, uh, they have had a great season in the USHL, and they have a lot of top-tier college prospects. But one of those guys that had not been committed, that a lot of people were wondering, where is he going to go, made his decision a couple weeks ago. That's Nick Boldenauer. You can actually read a feature right now on Full Hockey by our Jordan McAlpine, who caught up with Boldenauer last week about um, you know his season and if you recall last year, and if you if you know anything about Nick, and, and I know Scott Wheeler at the Athletic had written about um, his his the adversity that he went through. You know, he, he went through an illness that saw him hospitalized last season. Then he comes back, and in first game back, he gets cut very badly uh, by a skate. More hospital time for him, uh, but he ends up having a great season. He makes Canada's under eighteen team at the end of the last year. Uh, was a, a high end scorer, and then he gets drafted in the third round by the Toronto Maple Leafs. And as a Mississauga native, Mississauga, Ontario native, that's basically a dream come true. And so a great season of, of adversity and then triumph for Nick Moldenauer. And you'll get to read more about his uh, resilience. But now he's finally made his decision about where he's going to go to school, and that's the University of Michigan. And Michigan has been a, had a little bit of a pipeline going through Chicago. You think about Owen Power, Brendan Brisson. Um, you know, a number of others, Adam Fantilli, of course, who's there right now, and and so much more. Um, you know, Moldenauer is the latest to to make that jump. And I think, you know, part for him, I uh, talked a lot about, you know, how it's relatively close to the Toronto area. He's excited to be able to play there. Um, and he, he just felt like it was the right fit. So you can read more about that. But Nick Moldenauer signing with Michigan, you know, I think that the balance of recruiting power over the last few years has been between Michigan and Minnesota. Um, this year, though, I think Boston College has kind of wrestled away some of that uh, prestige from them. So uh, a lot, uh, a lot to be excited about there in, on the college hockey front. And you know, don't don't worry about Minnesota. They've got a guy by the name of Cole Eiserman committed to them for the following season. Um, and also, you know, you look at some of the other great players that are going to be uh, signing their their national letters of intent coming up. Plenty more players to do so for the next year's class, and then. Uh, of course, uh, we've got a lot more, and we'll we'll be trying to do a little bit more recruiting talk on this podcast, and also uh, writing about it. You can read about that Boston College recruiting class on Flow Hockey anytime. All right, now we're going to move into the question and answer portion of the podcast. Always like to do that, and uh, we'll get to a little bit of what I'm thankful for before we get out of here, too, because it is a holiday. And if you are listening to this while you're on your holiday drive, thanks for making us a companion there. I know the podcast helped me a lot on the road just to stay awake and, and stay alert uh, as, I, as I'm driving. And certainly on with this job, you're on the road quite a bit going to watch players. So hopefully we're providing enough entertainment value 
for you on this holiday drive. I know it can be pretty crazy with traffic, and I'll be uh, among you on the highways very soon as I head back to Chicago to see some family there. All right, so let's get to those Q&As, and we're going to start today's Q&A off with uh, a regular. And if you if you want to ask questions, always, you can tweet me at Chris M. Peters, and you can also send me a, a DM. You can email. Uh, just keep, you know, you can get in touch with me a number of ways, but always like to hear from our regular questioners. And this one comes from at Steven39. Should NHL teams release their actual draft list after a certain number of years? I'd love to see 10 years later who my favorite team had certain players ranked, where they had uh, certain players ranked. And I am with you, Steven. I am always for more information. Give it to us, and it is never going to happen. Uh, should they do it? Sure. Will they do it? No chance. I mean, I think that the um, the thing about drafts and the way that people, uh, you know, the way that NHL teams set them up, it's it's among the most closely guarded secrets. That 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 draft list is is kind of sacred. It's one of the things that you know just does not leak in terms of you know specifics and. Part of it is because, you know, you don't want people to learn strategy. Part of it is because you don't want guys that you do pick to see how low they actually were on your list when you got them, you know, because sometimes that's the way it works out. A lot of teams won't even make, you know, 200 or 300 person lists. It doesn't really make much sense. They'll, they'll make more, you know, compact lists in that 100, 120, you know, just, some are even smaller than that uh, because teams know who they like and they know what they want and they know what they're looking for and they, they feel like they can get it. Um, based on the rest of the league. So I don't think we're ever going to see that happen, but I, I do think it would be really fun. The one, the, the list that I want to see more than any is the Dallas Stars list from the draft where they got uh, Miro Haskinen, Jason Robertson, and Jake Ottinger in one draft. Number one goalie, high scoring forward, number one defenseman, how on earth that happened? I want to see how they had that listed out and how high those guys were on that list because that you look at the way the Dallas Stars are playing right now. That draft class, which is the same year that you know Kale McCarr was drafted and um, you know the Nico Heischer draft, Elias Pettersson, that was a really good draft. The Stars end up getting a number one goalie, a number one defenseman, and a forty goal scoring forward. I mean, it's unbelievable what happened in that draft. So that's one list that I would absolutely love to see. Um, I'd also like to see the really bad lists, like the where there was just bus city. Um, you know, that'd be a lot of fun because it'd probably make me feel a little bit better about the job that I do. So, you know, because we're, we're wrong a lot in, in the prospect world and even the pros, the, the NHL scouts, they are wrong a lot as well. So it makes me feel a little bit better when I'm wrong. But it, it's, 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 it's very interesting. And Steven, I would love to see it. It is never going to happen, but I would, I'm on board with it. We need it for science. We need it for research and for posterity and history. Show us the lists. They're not going to. All right. Next one comes from Patrick Scout at Patrick Scouting. Who would fit the Sens core the best out of this 2023 draft class? Well, the Ottawa Senators definitely have not performed up to a very high standard this season compared to, I think, where expectations were. It's not to say they can't turn it around, not to say they won't get better. I think they'll probably end up pecking kind of in that mid-early first round uh, in terms of the, the you know class and, and different things. Well, they would have. Um, and I actually, as I'm talking to you, I have to look up their 
their draft kind of selections. But I think when you look at the players in the draft, it's really hard to identify, you know, which guys fit the identity. There are some, like you look at Cutter Goche last year and Flyers, I was like, that just made sense. He looked like a guy that was going to fit with what they were doing. And, you know, for him, uh, for, for the Senators, I think what they've built now, you say, okay, what is what really is their identity as a team? And I think they've gone, They've got that mix of skill and they've got that mix of size. You look at some of their drafts recently, they've gone hard into size. You get guys like Tyler Boucher, um, Zach Ostapchuk, like guys like that that are that are bigger. Um, you know, so if they end up, you know, picking in the first round, I think, you know, in terms of of kind of where they're at, I think you'd love to get a center. You know, trying to find a center. And this is a good draft to find, you know, top quality centers, guys that kind of fit in. Um you know, if if you can't get that, you look at some of the other guys. I think one of the hybrids, um, he kind of reminds me a little bit of Brady Kachuk, although he's not as big as Brady Kachuk, um, is Ryan Leonard. You know, he's a guy that has that kind of mix of physicality, scoring ability, high skill, you know, and he's not a center, but, you know, is he a guy that can kind of play down the wing, create space for others? You know, he's kind of fits that mold of of what they're what they've started to build there. Um but you know it's it's always tough to say. I mean, I think that you 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 also want to try to stay and continue to get more skilled. Um, where you know, especially if you're have these high level draft picks, um, I like where they're at, kind of in their blue line, and I don't think there's a lot of there's not a lot in this class that you're going to say, oh, we got to get this guy. Um, but I, you know what? Now that I'm as I as I talk myself through this, and this is what happens sometimes when I I, I definitely look at these questions, I try to prepare as best I can, and then all of a sudden I start talking. Another idea pops into mind. Why not go after a goalie? Um, you know, they've got some good goalies in the system. I'm not saying that they don't. But if you're in a range to pick a Michael Harabal, who could be your number one long term, that could be a good fit. Because I think you've got your staples. You've got your core guys like a Brady Kachuk. You've got your Josh Norris. You've got Tim Stutzla. You've got Jake Sanderson, Thomas Shabbat. Can you get that t- next level goaltender? You know, because is is Mad Shogard going to be that? Is are, are those? It's tough. It's tough to say, and it's always tough to predict on goaltenders. But of the guys in this draft, and as I talk myself through it, I think Michael Harabel from the Omaha Lancers could be a very good fit for them uh, if that's the kind of goaltender they're looking for. He's a big guy. Um, you know, you think about Sebastian Koso went about fifteenth. Harabel's got similar size, speed. Uh, explosiveness, and then he's a little bit more controlled than Kosa was in his draft season. And that could be the guy. That could be the guy. All right, our next question is a college hockey one. It comes from at MVP96. Thoughts on Lane Hudson's hot start? Well, Lane Hudson is one of those guys that I didn't mention earlier about being those undersized, highly skilled blue liners that could play at the World Juniors. And I think he's going to be in the mix. He should be in camp. But Lane Hudson is averaging over a point per game for Boston University. He scored an absolute dandy of an overtime goal against Northeastern this weekend. I, was, I happened to be watching that game. Um, and Lane Hudson is one of the more unique prospects right now. He is you know, still about 5'8", 170 pounds, maybe. You know, if he's soaking wet and wearing weighted shoes, you know, like that kind of thing. Um, but we're seeing all the things that he did at the U18 level at the college level, confidence with the puck, the ability to make plays, getting up into the play, 
and creating offense and and not being a liability de- defensively. The one thing that always annoyed me about um, some people talking about Lane Hudson and his size was they didn't give him enough credit for the competitiveness that he plays with and how difficult he was to play against. Good defensive stick, gets under opposing forwards. Yes, he can get pushed around and pushed off the puck, but he's really difficult to catch when he has the puck on the stick. He's just so shifty, so deceptive, and, and that's what we're seeing at Boston University right now. And if you get a chance to go check out his goal and just see the move that he made on Devin Levi, who was one of the, you know, the best goaltenders in college hockey and one of the best goaltenders outside of the NHL presently, I mean, Lane, Lane Hudson has all the confidence in the world. I think he's going to have a real good shot to make the world junior team. I don't think that he's a lock by any means. I know that that's going to frustrate some people, but I think that he's going to be in the mix. And the question is, is how much does the size factor come into USA's decisions on the blue line? Can they have four sub six foot puck movers um, when there's not all that power play time to go around? And one of your best players is a six foot two mobile defenseman in Luke Hughes. You know, so there's just a lot that the USA has to figure out. And where is Hudson going to fit? Is he going to get the power play time to make an impact in that way? Um, you know, you got Hughes, you've got Peart, you've got all these other players. So it'll be interesting to see how they handle that. But I have remain a huge fan of Lane Hudson's game, a believer in his game. And, you know, it, it's just a ton of fun to watch him play. And you also keep an eye out for his younger brother, too, Cole Hudson, who's at the National Team Development Program, had a very strong showing at the Under-17 World Hockey Challenge. Very, it's it's like we're seeing a carbon copy um, of, of Lane there as well uh, with Cole Hudson. So keep that name in mind. All right, more college hockey. And this one comes from at Jake Baskin play-by-play. What are your thoughts on UConn's hot start? Do you think they're for real this season, at least from a Hockey East perspective? Well, Jake, I do think that they are for real. I've actually watched UConn quite a bit this season trying to watch Matthew Wood uh, for the NHL draft, but just out of intrigue. Um, and what I think UConn has this year is, is a more complete team. They have really dynamic players up front. Ryan Torberg, uh, who is a, uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs draft pick, is a legitimate Hobie Baker candidate this season. He's over 10 goals this season. He seems to score goals in big situations. They've gotten really good goaltending throughout the year. I think that that's another thing that really has – that's the thing that I didn't necessarily know they were going to get um, this season. Uh, but, you know, I think that what I've seen from UConn in general is just a more a more complete effort. They play the game the right way. They're very difficult to play against. They, they, they don't let you get a ton of shots off. You know, I think they're very well coached. They're very disciplined. They had a, a, seat, a split with UMass Lowell last week, and I did watch the first game of that. Um, and it was, you know, Lowell is such a hard team to play against. And UConn just kept finding ways to cut through. They eventually lose that game in overtime, but still played really well. Um, you know, and then to have a true freshman like Matthew Wood, who's draft eligible, who has this size, he's, he's got 12 points so far this season. You know, he's not lighting the world on fire, but he is a, an offensive force for this team. They've got really balanced scoring throughout their lineup as well. And, you know, look at this. They're splitting their goalies, Logan Turnus and Arseny Sergeyev. And as a team, they have a collective 930 save percentage. Um, Sergeyev, uh, very interesting player and prospect. He's 5-1-1 in his seven appearances, while Turnus Turnus is 5-1-2 in his eight appearances and has one shutout. So 
to know that you're getting the goaltending on top of having a team that's playing even better. And there are other guys like Nick Capone um, that, that have really stepped up. Uh, I think, you know, Andrew Lucas has been their top producing defenseman. Um, so there's a lot to like about the, the way that UConn has played. And I think it's, they're, they're definitely one of those teams that is, um, you know, living up to and surpassing the expectations that they had coming into the season. A lot of people thought UConn would be better this year. They had to prove it. And I think that they have, and, and that's been really interesting to watch. And, you, you know, go back to this summer and Mike Cavanaugh was among the play, the, the individuals very seriously considered to replace Jerry York at Boston College. UConn extends Mike Cavanaugh. He takes himself out of the, uh, out of the running. They extend him and, you know, they're going to have a new building. Things are really starting to snowball for UConn and, and Matthew Wood. I don't think that he's going to uh, be moving straight to the NHL. I think he will be a first-round draft pick, but he's not going to move straight to the NHL next season. So it gives you something to build off of and maybe even be more of a contender, though you may be without Ryan Torberg next season as he is uh, definitely looking like he's gunning for an NHL contract the way that he's played so far this year and as a Maple Leafs draft pick, certainly should get that. All right. Next question comes from at Friday 5155, and we are talking BCHL. The Nadeau brothers, Bradley and Josh, uh, that's me adding that for you, are destroying the BCHL right now. Currently have Penticton at 20 and 0. Have you been able to watch them at all? What they're doing is pretty astounding. Have to imagine most of college hockey is trying to push them off their main commitment. Um, let's not do that to the Black Bears. That's not very nice, but. So, so Bradley and Josh Nadeau are playing extremely well. They are currently the top two scorers in the BCHL. They are, you know, they're, they're, uh, sorry, Josh is the older of the two. Bradley is actually draft eligible this season. And I haven't watched a ton of video on them yet. Uh, but what they're doing right now, truly impressive, both over two points per game. As you mentioned, both committed to the University of Maine. Um, they are natives of New Brunswick, so Maine actually about as close as you can get to home. Um, so it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, anything like that. And I also say Ben Barr, the head coach at Maine, who was at UMass and has been one of the best recruiters in college hockey and one of the top assistants for years, now having this opportunity, these are two guys that you absolutely have to land, right? So you have to get them in there. And I'm sure that there is going to be recruiting battles that continue, but you know, you look at Nadeau, Josh is an older player. He's 19, so you would expect him to be very productive. But to see Bradley also over two points per game, the fact that he has 21 goals in 20 games is pretty remarkable. And, and the other thing about Penticton in the BCHL, they are currently outscoring their opponents 118 to 35. 118 to 35 in 20 games. So that's the interesting question next. How much of it is team-based? And this is where you know teams that are watching Bradley Nadeau are trying to find out exactly you know, what he is, where he fits in. And these these guys aren't, they're not very big, neither player very big. They've got, you know, the, the size factor is not on their side, but they are producing at a high level at a junior A league that has produced NHL draft picks. Um, but when you're on a team that's dominating as they are, you start to say, okay, well, how much of it is team-based? How much of it is 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 really them? I think when you look at the their production versus their teammates, they're so far ahead 
that you say, okay, well, they're, they're certainly driving play to a certain extent. So, you know, without having watched a ton of video on them, I, you know, I think that both of them are, are performing at an exceptional level in a league that, that provides at least some challenge to them. Um, but, you know, I think that a lot of the production is going to be taken with a grain of salt, especially for Josh with the, him being older and having more junior experience. And then, you know, Bradley doing what he's doing right now, he's at least put himself very firmly on the draft radar, very firmly in the, in the mix to, to be selected. And, you know, Penticton has been one of the top junior teams in North America for years and years. And Fred Harbison, the head coach, actually just recently got his 700th victory um, as a junior coach. So oh, it's been a top-tier program. They're getting really solid development. Now it's just a matter of, you know, does somebody believe in you? And I think for Maine, you know, they need they need wins like this. They need to bring in guys like this. And I don't think that either of these two players are going to be especially – um, you know, highly sought after NHL prospects as opposed to being, you know, really good college players that could have a chance down the road uh, to, to be more than that. But very interesting nonetheless. And I think always great to talk BCHL. And by the way, Hockey TV, which is a partner of, of Flow Hockey, you can watch the BCHL on HockeyTV.com. So make sure you check that out. Next question I have actually came via DM. And so I am going to read it. You won't see it pop up on the screen here, but this one came from Posty. And he asks, do you think William Moore will go to the NTDP or the OHL route? He was the third kid on that Rohrbeck uh, Misa squad to apply for exceptional status. So um, William Moore is a U.S. Canadian dual citizen. Uh, and as far as I know, he is very much in the mix and very likely um, at least to to be part of the NTDP uh, next season. Now, that's not set in stone. He, he still will be pursued uh, by OHL teams. But as you mentioned, Michael Misa, who played uh, for the Mississauga Senators last year, um, got exceptional status into the NHL, or into the OHL, rather, um, as a 2007-born player. And William Moore uh, did not. Uh, but he's a very interesting player nonetheless. He's already six foot two. Um, and you know, he's more physically developed in the OHL cup last season, he had 11 points, seven goals, um, in seven games. That was where Misa really kind of popped off and, and kind of solidified his status as, as an exceptional status player with 20 points in seven games during that. But I, I mean, you have to look at so many of these, these, these 2007 birth year players. Um, and there's a lot of excitement about that group. So, um, I couldn't give you a definitive answer. I do know that, you know, I, the, the NTDP and, and every, everybody is in pursuit of this player. Um, but, you know, I think that the question comes down to when with every dual citizen, my, my question to that player is always, are you American? Or are you Canadian? What do you feel like? Who, which is the country of your, that, that you feel most you should represent, not the country that you think will give you the best opportunity to play on the international stage. And I think a lot of players just end up making that decision on their own. Um, so we'll see where that goes. But as a dual citizen, always interesting to kind of see how those decisions get made. But no question, William Moore is a top 2007-born player. <coughs> Excuse me. And not only is he a top 2007-born player, but that 2007-born class is very exciting. I've heard a lot from various people in junior hockey that the 2007 birth year, especially for the United States, is going to be very exciting. Two names to keep in mind. I'm just going to throw out to you. I normally don't 
go this deep into a, a prospect pool where we're talking about 2007s because it's already hard enough to talk about the 2006s and the 2005s that are draft eligible this season. But there are some really exciting talents. One of them is Cullen Potter. And if you know that last name, you know you may know Jenny Potter, who is a Hall of Fame level women's hockey player for the United States, one of the all-time greats for USA Hockey. Um, and Cullen Potter is her son, currently playing for Dallas um, in the 16U level. And I've heard tons of great things about where he's going, that he very well could be among the best Americans in this class. And another name to keep in mind from out in Pittsburgh, he's actually Logan Cooley's cousin, LJ Mooney. He has been an elite player in the Pittsburgh area. Some people saying he might even be better than Logan at the same age. And he is another one of those players that is, is definitely getting a lot of buzz in terms of, you know, going to the NTDP next season, being a big part of USA Hockey's future. He's a little bit on the smaller side, but super skilled, electric player. Um, so very excited to see that. So, so there's a little couple connections there to, to tie to people that you may have heard of. But yeah, Colin Potter, LJ Mooney, and William Moore, definitely three names to know uh, for the future of USA Hockey here. And we're going to end our last... Our, our last question is one that is just off the wall because we got to have a goofy question every time we do this. And it's my good pal at Schrader D. He asks, where do you see Gunnar Stahl going in the draft this year? Strong showing in the international competition this far. No question about it. The Junior Goodwill Games, Iceland superstar Gunnar Stahl, uh, one of the best in, in the world, clearly. Um, never really got clear what age level the Junior Goodwill Games was. Uh, but also the most confusing thing about Gunnar Stahl, and now we're going to just, the ruse is over. We're talking about the Mighty Ducks, of course. But Gunnar Stahl, the biggest question I have about Gunnar Stahl is why did he show up in D3 as a completely different person? Same actor, different guy. Like we weren't going to notice that, you know, Gunnar Stahl is suddenly playing for the varsity team at Eden Hall in Mighty Ducks 3. I mean, just a, just a hilarious ruse, but um, I'm Mighty Ducks for life. You guys know that. You saw my Halloween jersey. I'm reaching back for the jersey, but I'm like, it's too much for me to, to put it up on the camera now. But the crazy thing about Mighty Ducks that I want to bring up, though, five years ago is, is when that movie came out. And uh, um, that's very, is it even more? It might even be more. Is it the 30th anniversary? I don't even know anymore. I do know I saw that, you know, the, there's all sorts of Mighty Ducks paraphernalia everywhere um, because of this. And I will, I, I, like Adidas even has shoes that are like Mighty Ducks shoes. I was like, I probably shouldn't buy those, but I probably will because I'm a Mighty Ducks freak. And that brings me to Thanksgiving and Christmas. And, and maybe I'll put that on my Christmas list. But before we get out of here, uh, thanks, Dan, for the question. Gunnar Stahl, uh, number one pick all day for me, as you know. Um, as we head into the holiday, just want to say, first of all, thank you to everybody that's listened to this podcast. Uh, means a lot to me that you guys join and you ask questions and we get to talk every week. And um, as, as such a fan of listening to podcasts, it's my pleasure to uh, bring them out to you. I know when, when I'm on the road, some people stop me and say that they really enjoy the podcast, that they like listening and um, that we have great chats. So if you ever do see me out there, make sure to stop by and we can always chat prospects or whatever else. Uh, but really thankful for the people that have listened to this podcast, have contributed uh, as guests. Uh, thanks to Colt for producing it as well. He's 
He's been, uh, you know, we've had it. I, I used to do this on my own. It's been really nice to have a producer helping out with this as well. Um, really glad to be here at Flow Hockey as well uh, and Flow Sports in general. I think that we've had a, a really fun year so far and the best is yet to come. We've got so many things planned for you guys. Um, we've got some mini documentaries coming out that are really exciting, uh, some feature stories on players and, and, and a bunch more coming in terms of video things, a lot of writing and draft rankings and things like that. So it's great to be working and obviously great to be at a place that really values hockey uh, as Flow Sports does. So that's been a tremendous experience for me as well. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that, you know, you look at this great game, I'm really thankful for the community. I think that that's what allows things like this podcast and everything else to thrive is that we have a very dedicated group of people that love this sport, that want to see this sport thrive. I think that at times we, you know, we have got to talk about the, the difficult things in hockey to make sure that it gets even better. And we've had a lot of discussions about race and, and uh, sexism and all these other different things that, that have kind of plagued the game over the years. But I think there's a, a lot of people that are working behind the scenes and, and, and not behind the scenes to make hockey a more inclusive and, and, and better place. And, and I'm really excited that that's a big thing. It's a great sport. We should want more people in it. And we have to be more welcoming. And I, I think that we're heading in that direction. Um, so as we head into this holiday season, as we start getting ready and ramping up and things are going to get busy, I think it's important to reflect on the things that are really good and, and, and all the great things in our lives that, that we have. Um, and, and certainly this great sport is one of them. Uh, I hope that you have an opportunity to celebrate with your families and have it, or, or your friends or whoever you're around and have a chance to really enjoy Thanksgiving. Uh, if you're Canadian, enjoy Thursday. Uh, it should be a great Thursday. You get to watch some football during the day, and now we've got the World Cup going on. So uh, it's got to be festive anyway, and you already had your Thanksgiving. Uh, so, uh, But, yeah, but for all of you that, that listen to this podcast, that ask questions, I hope that you have a very happy Thanksgiving, or if you're in Canada, happy Thursday. And I really hope that you all continue to, to listen to this podcast, continue to converse with me. You can always ask questions at Chris M. Peters on Twitter. Send DMs. Tweet right at me in my mentions. Doesn't matter. We'll make sure that we get it on the podcast. And uh, it's been great to have your contributions all year long. So once again, my thanks to Colt Joyce for producing. My thanks to Flow Sports for having this podcast as part of the Flow Sports Network. And make sure that you are subscribing, liking, rating, reviewing, sharing, doing all those things to spread the hockey love within this community. Once again, hope you have a great holiday weekend. Be careful on the roads. And we will see you next week, same time, right here. I'm Chris Peters. This is Talking Hockey Sense. We'll see you next time.